Well, good morning. This, my sermon title this morning is simple. Run. And my text is the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, as well as verses 26 to 38. Now, this is sounding very loud to me. Is it loud to you? No. no. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, these verses are printed in your handout together with the sermon outline for your easy reference. You know, my last sermon sprung from Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And this morning we're going to focus on how do we do that and what is our message. You know, we also have this morning Philip as our model. Acts 21.8 calls Philip an evangelist. Well, all disciples are evangelists. It's a small e evangelist, not to be confused with the eldership office of evangelist in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, but everyone is called to spread the gospel. And so this morning, dear Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. You know, someone has described our age as an age of hurry and worry. It seems that we are always in a hurry, but the question is, are we in a hurry for the right thing? And speaking of being in a hurry, there are those in the Bible who were in a hurry. When Abraham saw the three men approaching his tent, the Bible says in Genesis 8-2 that he ran to meet them. And with a servant of Abraham that was sent to find a bride for Isaac, when he saw Rebekah drawing water from the, from the well, the Bible says in Genesis 24-17 that the servant ran to meet her. And when young Samuel first heard the voice of God, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 3-5 that he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And lastly, when the prodigal son returned home, the Bible says in Luke 15, 20, that his father saw him and had compassion and ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. You know, those are just a few examples of people running and being in a hurry in the Bible. There are a lot of Bible runners. You know, one of the ones that I want us to look at this morning is Philip. And he's found in Acts chapter 8. And this runner is named, as I said, Philip. We've read already in Acts 8.30 that Philip ran. And the question becomes, why did he run? Why was he in such a hurry? And I'm going to suggest three reasons why he ran. And we learn these from looking at chapter 8 in the book of Acts. And first, let me suggest to you, as you look at your outline, first, he had a master to serve. You know, for a true believer, there is no greater joy than to serve our Lord. When we meet Philip in Acts 8, he is serving the Lord, and we read in verse 5 that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. This disciple is evangelizing. This soul winner is soul winning. This preacher is preaching. This servant is serving. He's busy serving his Lord and Master. Listen, characteristic of his service 
is his obedience to God's commands and his submissiveness to God's will. Whenever God spoke, he answered. And whenever God asked him to do something, he responded. He obeyed. I want you to notice with me these characteristics of his service. First, we see in our outlines unquestioning obedience. When we first see Philip in Acts 8, he's preaching Christ in Samaria. And then, verses 6 to 8, we read that his service was greatly blessed by God. Verses 6 to 8 read, And the multitudes with one accord heeded to the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. And so through Philip's service and preaching, revival came to this city. Great things were happening. Glorious things were occurring. And the word joy that is used in verse 8 speaks of exceeding and exuberant joy. Cries of joy and praise were heard in every home and on every street. God was at work, and the spirit of revival permeated the whole city. And in verses 9 to 13, an example is given of a wonderful conversion that occurred in the revival. The most difficult man in the city got saved. In that city was a sorcerer named Simon. Many of the people had been bewitched by his magic, so much so that we read in verse 10, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. Literally, the words say the power of God, which is called great. You see, they believed that Simon was an impersonation of the power of God, and they designated him as great. But when the truly great one showed up, things took a drastic change. And so now we read in verse 12, But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. You might say that men and women were being saved left and right. You might say that they were with the city in the grip of revival. And to cap it off, even Simon found himself bending his knees and bowing in adoration, confessing Jesus to be Lord. And we read in verse 13, it states, Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now listen. Philip was in the midst of a special work of God. But then unexpectedly, things took an unusual turn. God asked Philip to leave the city and go to, of all places, the desert. I want you to notice verse 26 and what it states. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. God was commanding Philip to leave a populous place for a barren place. He was asking him to leave the place where so much was happening or to, and to go to a place where nothing existed but sand, heat, and desolation. I think that's a strange call on God's part. 
And we might question such a command. After all, look at all the people in the city that were getting saved. Look at the miracles that were happening and the fruitfulness that, Peter, that, that Philip was experiencing. Might be getting old here. Why would God call him to leave this big church and send him to where there was nothing? What God would ask would make many of us scratch our heads in puzzlement. However, when we read verse 27, it says this, so he arose and went. Mark those words in your Bible. So he arose and went. Listen, Philip did not say, Lord, look at the crowds we're having in our services. Lord, look at all the people that are getting saved. Lord, I have the biggest church in town. There is nothing to indicate that he questioned God's call and command, but he arose and went. There was an unquestioning obedience. The Lord offered no explanation for his command. There was no disclosure for the purpose in suddenly moving Philip from one place to another. Nothing was explained. Nothing was revealed. God just said, go and Philip arose and went without question. Secondly, your outline there was on Philip's part, unhesitant obedience. Now Philip traveled about 100 miles into the desert. And no doubt to his surprise, he finds a man in the middle of nowhere sitting in a chariot reading scripture. Verse 27 says that he was a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure. This fellow was a high-ranking official and officer in the court of the queen of Ethiopia. Candace was not a personal name, but rather it was the hereditary title of all the queens of Ethiopia. And the fact that he was in charge of her treasure indicates that he had full responsibility for the funds and disbursements of those funds for the queen. We might think of him as the queen's secretary of the treasury. And when, he, when Philip saw him, we read in verse 29, and then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Once again, God speaks to Philip and tells him to do something. And how did he respond? We then read in verse 30, and Philip ran to him. See, without question, without hesitation, Philip obeys the call and the command of God. God didn't have to speak twice or repeat his will. Philip obeyed God's will without question and without hesitation. Obviously, Philip was a man available to the Lord, ready and willing to do whatever God wanted whenever and wherever God wanted it. He had a master, and that master he served without questioning and unhesitant obedience. There was a willingness on Philip's part to do God's will. There was a readiness on Philip's part to do God's will. And when he ran, it revealed that there was an eagerness on Philip's part to do God's will. So when the psalmist in Psalm 40, verse 8 tells believers 
we should be listening. It says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. We should be willing, ready, and eager to do what God asks whenever God is asking. You know what? If God asked you to do a particular thing, God asked you to do a particular thing, would you do it? Or just consider it? What if he asked you to go to a certain place? Would you be willing to go? What if God asked you to do something that did not make sense? Would you argue with him? Or question the reason? Or would you do it without question or hesitation? You know, one of the qualifications for blessing and usefulness in God's service, no matter what capacity of service you're called, whether it's to preach, to teach, to work with young people, or to sing. It is a willingness to obey God without question and hesitation. Philip ran because he had a master to serve. Secondly, may I say that he ran because he also had, second in your outline, a message to share. You know, in Acts 8.5, we read again that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And as I've said, Acts 21.8 calls Philip an evangelist. For clarification, an evangelist is an elder, a preacher of the gospel, the good news. Preaching the good news is preaching about Christ. But it is also simply telling others about Jesus. For an elder, it is a noun, an office. For others, it is a verb, an action. Philip ran because he had a great and glorious message to share. Likewise, we have a great and glorious message to share with others. We do have something to talk about. We do have someone to talk about. And like Philip, we have a wonderful message to share. And eagerly and hastily, we should share Jesus with others. And so Philip, because he had a message to share, he ran. What was that message he had to share? Well, look with me in Acts 8. And I want you to notice the message to share. And first, it is the message of the one who suffered for sin. In verse 28, we read that when Philip saw the Ethiopian eunuch in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. He was reading from Isaiah 53, that, that great chapter that speaks of one who suffered for sin, who gave of his life for the sins of the whole world. Our text, verses 32 and 33, state that the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation, for his life is taken from earth? When these words were penned by the prophet Isaiah, he was looking into the future. He was seen with the eye of faith, the hour when the Lamb of God, in his humiliation, emptied himself and took upon himself a body of flesh, that he would yield to the cross with all its cruelty and all its tors and all its torments, that he might give himself for the sins of all mankind. 
Earlier in chapter 53, verse 4 and 5, Isaiah also stated, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now listen to this part. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of his peace was upon him, and with his stripes or his wounds we are healed. Clearly, that does not mean, as faith healers will preach, that all can be healed of diseases, but rather that our souls are healed from the ravages of sin, healed from eternal consequences. That's our message. God robed himself in human flesh, becoming one of us that he might be one for us. He was nailed to the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, that he might bridge the mighty gulf that existed between the two. He died that we might live. He suffered hell on earth so we wouldn't have to suffer hell throughout all eternity. And so our message is that we is that of one who suffered for sin and the just for the unjust. He died for the blessed, blessed and the cursed, and for the sinless or the sinful. So it's a message, second in your outline, to consider that it was one who saves from sin. Our text, verses 34 and 35, states, So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture preached Jesus to him. Philip preached to him Jesus. The name Jesus means savior. And Jesus is not only the one who suffered for sin, but he is the one who saves from sin. But listen, Philip was asked, who is this that is written about? Then Philip began to preach Jesus saves. And so now we too have a message that tells the unsaved that they can be brought from darkness into light and from death into life. It's a message that says, whosoever may come. It's the message of good tidings, a message that can bind up the brokenhearted. It is a message that proclaims liberty to the captives and proclaims the opening of the prison for them that are bound. And we have a glorious message to share. It is a message of one who gave himself for our sins and the one who saves us from our sins. It is a message that should cause us to run. Let me suggest that Philip ran because he not only had a master to serve and a message to share, but he also had, number three in your outline, a moment to seize. Notice with me a word in verse 27. It is the word, behold. We read, so he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia. Have you ever used or heard someone say, lo and behold? Well, it means that Philip obeyed God and went to the desert. And he was in a place where he sees the last thing he would have expected. And lo and behold, he sees a man sitting in his chariot. 
we too are often surprised by where God sends us. Where God sends us, we can tell the vilest sinner how they can become clean, how the dead in sin can be given life, how the lost can be found. We have a message to proclaim to this lost world that Jesus has died for their sin and therefore they can be saved from their sin. In my lifetime, before I was saved, I had seen and experienced human need at its worst. I had seen so many blinded by their traditions and bound by their sins. I had met helplessness and hopelessness on a scale like any other. I found them digging in dumpsters for something to eat. I saw the awful and tragic effects of drugs and alcohol as I found them passed out on the sidewalks and the ditches and in the alleys. And I've held the hand and looked into the eyes of those who were enslaved by the world, the flesh, and the devil. I, too, have walked as those who lived in a darkness that is oppressive. But now, after salvation, I now have divine moments, moments to be seized. Let me call them a divine opportunity. So consider first in your outline an opportunity that was present. In verses 27 and 28, we read that this Ethiopian eunuch had been to Jerusalem to worship. So it seems he was on his way back home, and apparently he had been seeking and searching. There was an emptiness in his soul, and he was trying to fill it. He was reading Isaiah, trying to find the answer. What did God do? God arranged things so Philip and his path would cross. And in the middle of the desert, God provided Philip the opportunity to lead a soul to Christ. We then read in verse 37 regarding the eunuch's desire for baptism. Verse 37 states, Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was ready for baptism. It was an opportunity that was present. Each day in our lives, God brings about opportunities to tell others about him. We meet people in various circumstances, and whether we are aware of it or not, these are often opportunities that God has given us to be a witness we must be looking for these opportunities. And whenever and wherever we go or wherever we are, we must be looking for the chance to be a witness. There are opportunities that are present, but oftentimes we don't even see them because we are not looking for them. We should be looking for them. As well, we should be listening for these opportunities. And by listening, I'm talking about how God speaks to our heart and tells us to witness to someone. Has that ever happened to you? Has God ever given you this impression to be a witness to someone? I'm sure many here understand what I'm saying, that there's that urging in your heart to walk up to that person and tell them of Jesus. Did you? Just as God led Philip to a place where an opportunity was present, God leads us to talk to someone and when God speaks, listen. 
God may be bringing an opportunity to your life to see someone saved. And Philip had that opportunity that was present. And he also had, number two in your outline, an opportunity that would pass. How long was that eunuch to have stayed there? Maybe only a few more minutes before he would have resumed his journey. Philip ran because there was an opportunity present and he didn't want it to pass. If he had delayed in obeying God, it was an opportunity that he may have missed. If he had hesitated to act, when he did, he may have lost the opportunity to be a factor in the eunuch's salvation to the Lord. You know, the uncertainty of life presses us. It presses us to be witnesses for Christ. Death is a reality. We are all destined to die. That friend or family member that we've been slack about talking to may not be with us next week or next month or next year. The uncertainty of time presses us to do all we can to reach others. Jesus may return any day, at any moment. I personally believe that Jesus is soon to come. And the time that we have left to reach others to Christ is winding down and winding down quickly. We must run. We have a master to serve, a message to share, and a moment to seize. God help us all to be running evangelists. Amen? You know, we sung one of my favorite songs, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There is just something about that name. He's ours. He's ours to share. You know, Pastor Bob last week reminded us to share the wealth of Jesus. So bow your heads with me as we Bring this to a close. So gracious Lord, this morning, give us spirits of joy and enthusiasm. Joy and enthusiasm for service by serving others. Lift us. Place, on your, place us on your pathways of peace and hope that with our lives we will witness your redeeming love. Amen? Go and make disciples. Start listening, obeying, and run with urgency. See you next week.